Please listen carefully. Hello, universe. Welcome to the Optimist Daily Update. I'm Summers McKay. And I'm Christy Jansen. And we are part of the team behind the Optimist Daily, making solutions the news. We bring you solutions news every day in order to change the tenor of news media, social media, and the direction of your day to help us all get focused on solutions. Seven days a week, we publish positive news stories written by award-winning journalists and delivered online to your inbox and through our social channels. And also, we are sharing these solutions in a commute-worthy, walk-worthy, home-ops-worthy podcast. Today is Monday, the 13th of June, 2022. How are you, Christy? I'm all right, Summers. You know, it's been a bit of a weekend, you know? (laughs) Yeah. But all good stuff. Yeah. It was a a friend's birthday. I did a refresher course on psychological first aid, which was interesting. What is psychological first aid? It's a peer-to-peer kind of training where you learn active listening techniques and other ways of helping people who have been through a recent trauma and help people regain their sense of safety and security It was designed by Dr. Robert Macy and a few others at the National Child Trauma Institute, I think. It's a practice that can be deployed to people who are interested in how to offer sort of psychological first aid healing at the site of a traumatic event, whether that's a school shooting or a natural disaster or in a case of like a something that happens in a community that have people displaced and hurting and in grief mm-hmm. in a traumatic event, mm-hmm. we have to think about our mental health because we get raw. Anyway, so that was part of my weekend and that was really, really rewarding. And it just feels great to come together with people who are all interested in being strong supporters in the community. I love it. And then it was a friend's birthday party. So we met at a park, which was really nice. And yeah, so it was a good weekend. How about you? We had 104 degree temperatures here in Austin, Texas. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Lots of pool time. We also had a friend's birthday party, one of Brennan's little three-year-old buddies, because it's now the season where they're all turning three, right? So birthday parties every weekend start. And her particular class is the age range where all of these kids have birthdays in the summer. And so every family is trying to figure out how to have a less than melting three-year-old birthday party. And I anticipate there will be a lot of tantrums over the ensuing summer. We'll see. But I also did something funny. So I realized a few months ago that my passport had actually expired. Oh, it's already expired? Which is crazy. It's like legit expired, which is so not me to have not an international passport. But COVID, right? And, And I got my whole family passports and Brennan has a passport, but mine still had time on it. And then, you know, cut to a year later of COVID. So I took my own passport picture because now you can actually take your own picture and have it printed and send it in. So it was just very funny because I was looking at all of my past passports and then, you know, standing in my living room and my friend had the camera and I was like trying to give myself the best lighting possible. And it was just very funny. (laughs) But I'm very excited because my passport is now in process of being renewed. And I'm really looking forward ahead to trying to start traveling again. I know you have some international travel coming up Mm -hmm. and you have inspired me by your international travel that it it might just be time to go explore again. It's been a long time. Hey, where are you going at the end of this month? The end of this month, I'm going to be headed off to Greece to participate in a, a salon that's focused on journeying towards the common good. And I'm really so excited about this. We'll be on the island of Patmos in Greece 
for 10 days with some really smart people, and I'm very excited about that. It's a community of journalists and writers and authors and thinkers. thinkers. and mental health people, and it'll be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Lots of different people. I mean, there's maybe 35 people, and I've only met them online, you know, so I haven't actually met anybody yet, but I'm really excited about this. And then on the way back, I'm going to spend some time in Amsterdam with our writing crew. <laughs> Several of them are there, and I'm so excited. Most of them I haven't met in person. We've been working together for two years, mm-hmm. but it's been remote. And so that's my international <laughs> travel. Right. Yeah. I love it. I think that international expansion is great. I am looking forward to going somewhere that I can see some sea life. I'm hoping maybe I can take my little girl to Roatan and our family can go back to Roatan and I can do some diving and maybe see some ocean. But yeah, the summer ahead is going to, you know, we we know that there's some some changes afoot and we're excited for the journey. But passports and whale watching, that I think is my awkward transition to my story. (laughs) I think it is. (laughs) (laughs) Which is actually about sea life and is about whale watching. My headline reads, Australian whale watching season gets an early start thanks to conservation. Now, one of my favorite things I used to do in California was go whale watching with our oldest daughter. Off the coast of California, where Christy lives in Santa Barbara, there is just amazing whale watching. But for those who have ever had the privilege of witnessing the majesty of a humpback whale breaching in the water and slapping the surface, it is unforgettable. This year, whale watchers off the east coast of Australia are being treated to an earlier-than-normal start to whale watching season thanks to successful conservation efforts. Humpback whale populations that migrate north from Antarctica to the Great Barrier Reef on a migration route known as the Humpback Highway are thriving. Dr. Wally Franklin, who is the director of the Oceana Project, already reported whale sightings off the coast of Sydney, Byron Bay, Marumbula, and the Gold Coast, and in more locations. Usually, the season sees its peak at the end of June and into the month of July. The quote from Mike Noed, the director of the Center for Marine Science at the University of Queensland, reads, Around 20 years ago, we'd get the first one or two whales coming through about Easter time, but there was around an eighth the number of whales that there are now. So one or two at Easter now becomes 16 or 30. These numbers are incredibly encouraging, considering that, according to NOAD, 99% of the humpback whale population was eliminated due to whaling. This is a population boom. If 99% were gone, that 1% has made it back. So since commercial whaling was banned in Australia in the 60s, humpback whales have made a great comeback from 300 whales in eastern Australia to about 40,000 humpback whales in the region today. That's tremendous. I I love that. It's huge. It reminds me of one of the Star Trek movies was about they had to go back in time to capture a humpback whale because these aliens actually had been communicating with the whales. And when the whale song died on Earth, they thought something were coming over to like. <laughs> and so that that was the plot line. I can't remember which right. one it was. It was one of the like Captain Kirk and Spock were in it. And it was one of the cheesier in the earlier iteration before. This is a movie, a Star, Star Trek movie that I remember seeing when I was a right. kid. Or I watched it when I was in my Star Trek phase. But yeah, that was the, they had to come back to like the 90s to get a whale to bring it forward in time to be able to have the humpback song. Anyway, so 
Star Trek was like early on the conservation. I think that's wonderful. Have you ever been to Australia? Actually, I have. Or New Zealand? I have. Both. I've been I've been both. We sailed mm-hmm. in one of our circumnavigation trips. We were in Australia and I remember the northern coast like around Darwin and places like that. There were so many mm-hmm. various animals that were that could kill you. <laughs> Between the jumping crocodiles and the poisonous jellyfish and the snakes that swam in the ocean, <laughs> like you know, going in the ocean. Not to mention the uh, the intense ultraviolet radiation you could get. So you know, you kind of if you wanted to go swimming, you had to wear an entire bodysuit <laughs> to like keep yourself. I don't think I want to swim in that it ocean. Might be a little bit better no, thank now. You. I don't know, but um, it, but it was a really neat place, and I've been a little bit in like Brisbane and and Sydney too. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, we know that spending time with animals and learning from sea animals to land animals makes us better. So what's your story today? I have a, a little bit of an animal story. Absolutely. This is another reason why preserving animals, not just to have the humpback song for the extraterrestrials that might be coming to you know invade the planet, but what we can learn from the different animal species can really benefit human species also in our understanding of how we work. My headline reads, researchers study animal evolution to advance women's health, which is interesting that it's specifically focused on women's health and different processes that are known issues for for women's bodies. This article is focused on a new study that which is published in PNAS Nexus by Dr. Barbara Natterson Horowitz of UCLA, who have been focusing on various processes that are found in the animal kingdom that can inform women's health, women's reproductive cycles, women's osteoporosis, which are clues that studying giraffes and sharks and bears could offer clues on how to treat infertility, osteoporosis, and other things that women particularly have to deal with. For example, the researchers found that over 130 species of mammals, including bears and fruit bats, can temporarily pause the development of embryos. Like once they've got a fertilized embryo in their body that's starting to gestate, there's something called embryonic diapause, which some mammals can do because of their unique genomes. And I think it's probably not something that they are planning to do, but something in the environmental condition makes their bodies know this is not a good time to get pregnant and have a baby. So just hang on to the embryo. Let's pause it. According to Natterson Horowitz, conception may not happen at the best time for a pregnancy. But with embryonic diapause, it offers pregnant females the flexibility to control the timing of the offspring's birth when faced with inadequate food or if there's too many predators in the environment. So like, okay, you got pregnant, you know that you're not going to want to have that baby if it just kept going at that time. So human reproduction is similar enough to these diapausing species that in some cases, Researchers believe they could one day mimic the adaptation, so they're investigating this and identifying the right mechanism could help us preserve embryos for in vitro fertilization or even give a woman more control over when she gives birth, which is an interesting, you know, wrinkle in our understanding of ourselves and how reproduction works. They're also looking at the Greenland shark, which is a shark that a species that can live up to 500 years and can give birth when they're 250 years old, which is super impressive. (laughs) That is amazing. I would be exhausted at 250 to have a baby. (sighs) Wow. They don't care for them quite as long. Yeah. <laughs> they don't. Yeah. 
but understanding that phenomenon and how they how they work could be a game changer for women who have difficulty conceiving or have undergone chemotherapy and their body's fertility has been impacted. Another thing that is really common in female bodies is osteoporosis and bone fractures, which happen after menopause. And also as we wind down and we become less active, that's why they recommend, you know, continue to lift weights, even if you're post-menopausal. But hibernating species like bears and marmots and squirrels, they somehow are managed to keep their bones super strong, even when they sleep all winter, you know? So understanding the biology and chemistry behind these strong boned hibernators could help us improve the quality of life for women who are at risk for osteoporosis. Giraffes have the highest blood pressure of any species because of their extreme height. You know, you need to have lots of pressure getting that the blood up to their brains. But it's not a problem for pregnant giraffes, even though high blood pressure in people is very problematic when you're, especially when you have a pregnancy. So understanding how giraffes have adapted to their very high blood pressure all the time and how to emulate that adaptation could help us with uh, human high blood pressure for mothers and babies, but also for high blood pressure in general. Um, So these are just a few examples of ways that understanding animal bodies, especially female animal bodies, and focusing specifically on the females of the species can inform our understanding of the female of our species. That's why I thought it was a cool story. Yeah, I think it is a very cool story. And we, you know, we wrote that story about animal motherhood for Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. And just reminding, you know, just that understanding the way that female bodies work is something that was not a priority for a long time. It was just sort of like assumed that female bodies were, you know, the vagina was the inverse of the penis, right? Like it wasn't. Yeah. It's, we're just smaller, smaller men, men somehow. Yeah. As if or, that was... or smaller male animals somehow. <laughs> like, so Smaller, weaker males. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of something really unique and uh, important to understand in its own right. Yeah. It turns out girls matter. So, <laughs> so Christy, uh, we've gone on and on today, but we're running a little short on time. It's time to hop to another meeting, but there are some fantastic stories on today and tomorrow's Optimist Daily. Go ahead and check them out on the site. Yeah, go look at what's going on there. We're planning some changes and transitions. We're not ready to talk all about it yet, but stay tuned this week as that unfolds. But in the meantime, everybody, thank you so much for listening to today's Optimist Daily Update. We are always thrilled to be here. Summers, it's so much fun to share this podcast with you. And I love talking about these great solution-based stories that give us ideas on how we can affect our lives in a positive way and the people around us. We love doing that on the Optimus Daily. We do. And everybody, just be part of the solution-changing consciousness. Address our world's biggest challenges with that problem-solving mindset. Think every day, not where the problem is, but where is the solution. We'll be back tomorrow with more solutions. Bye, everybody.